Welcome to the Live Lightly Podcast. Awareness to integration to elevation. Sue and Dan open intimate and complex spaces together, discussing integration from physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Expect conversations that are honest, expansive, and solution-oriented. Everything from consciousness design to biohacking to socio-political deep dives. Creative works and building a new paradigm in relationship through daily choices. Check out the show notes for more info about Sue and Dan, plus our guests. This week on the Live Lightly podcast, Sue sits down to interview Mishka Shubali, writing, running, and other cool shit. Sue sits down with Mishka after reading two of his seven books to talk about life, ultra running, big ideas, and have a down-to-earth conversation. A bit about Mishka, his memoir, and his long history with addiction and getting sober cold turkey. Mishka Shubali received the Dean's Fellowship at Columbia University for graduate study in fiction. His six Kindle singles for Amazon have been bestsellers. His full-length memoir, I Swear I'll Make It Up to You, A Life on the Low Road, was published in 2016 by Public Affairs. He teaches writing at the Yale Writers' Conference. Mishka is the voice in his six audiobooks, Kindle Singles, and we highly recommend you check them out. Raw, real, skillful writing pulls you into the heart of many human emotions and the layered human experience. Find his books below, and let's get right into it. Lightly podcast today. I'm very excited. I have read two of your books now. and I really found you first through my editor who edited my book, Ruby Warrington. You were on her podcast. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she's awesome. And I, before I got into contract with her, I was like, let me go hear what she sounds like. Let me see what she puts out into the world. And I was going through her podcast and I got to a few that were really self-helpy sounding and I was like, oh, can't do this, can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got onto your episode with her and I think she interviewed you about your book, um, How to Stop Drinking by Not Drinking or How to Quit Drinking by Not Drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I can hang in here for this conversation. And then I started volume on Graham and all the other things. And um, I was like, wow, I love your tone, first and foremost. I love listening to your audiobooks. Your voice Thank is you. phenomenal. And the skill to read your own writing in your own authentic voice is actually a huge skill. So that I deeply respect once I started listening to your audiobooks. Thank you. It's kind of nerve wracking to read your own work and to have the right incantation that you want or that you imagine it in your mind. It's ab- it's the worst. It's absolutely <laughs> the worst. And one of the things that I do that I've done with all my books and that I insist that my students do is before you publish anything, print it out, turn off your phone, just read it out loud to yourself because for some reason to um, it takes a certain amount of energy or a specific energy to commit words to the page. And then it takes more energy or a different energy to speak them aloud. And there have been so many times where I, you know, I've gone over a passage 10 times and then I read it aloud and I'm like, I use the word amazing three times in the second sentence. Like <laughs> what the fuck, you know, the, and it's just things like that, that your eye will scan over. But as soon as you give voice to it, it, I mean, it catches in your throat. You're like, Oh my God, what? No, I'm not going to say that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I certainly pimped my husband's listening skills for book one because it was, <laughs> it was hard for me to listen to myself because yeah. I wrote it so quickly and then I'd read it so quickly almost. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what tremendous advice. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your teaching and where you teach writing. I know it said Yale Writers Conference on your website, but a little bit more about that. Yeah. The So they approached me, I don't know, five or six years ago um, through Facebook. And I was like, this is a scam. <laughs> and uh, the... Um, but I said, you know, I said, I would do it. Absolutely. Like, you know, when, when Yale asks you to do a thing, you just do it, you get over your anxiety and your self-hatred and you just do it. And then when I got there, I went to the, I went to the woman who had hired me and I, I was like, listen, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I think you guys have made a horrible mistake. 
and I, you know, I don't, I'll leave now if you want me to. And um, she basically said, um, we, we chose you, right? Um, so are you telling me that Yale made a mistake? <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. You know, I've, I've never had somebody just um, turn my own anxiety back on me in such a smart manner you know, where she didn't hold my hand through it. And she wasn't like, you know, sort of there, there, or like everybody feels imposter syndrome. She was just like, are, are you attacking us? And I was like, Holy, no, no, no. And then she was like, all right, well, let's get down to business, you know? And that was whatever, five or six years ago. Um, so I've been teaching there. It was canceled last year for COVID. And I've been teaching there um, every other year. Um, it's fucking awesome. It's really uh, you know, it's like one or two weeks, depending on which, uh, which session I teach, mm -hmm. but I, I end up spending the entire other part of the year thinking about, oh, this is what I'm going to teach next year, or ah, shit, I should have done this this year, you know, next year, I'm definitely going to uh, the, I mean, that's I, cool. when I was that a, means you really love being there. You're spending six months prepping. You for know, it. When, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a teacher and then being a drunk, that was just one of those things where I was like, well, I, I guess I won't get to do that. And it, instead I'll be a bar back and, th and that's fine. <laughs> um, and that but, didn't uh, work out for long though. I mean, it did for a while. Yeah, I read yeah. your memoir, but yeah the but yeah it's awesome i love it so much you know in a, in a life full of scams uh teaching at yale seems like the best scam i've ever run and uh <laughs> i i really love it it's 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 so cool yeah that's super rad yeah i mean honestly uh so the long run so was the first book i've read in probably two years because i wanted to make sure that my voice was my voice and i didn't want anyone else's voice to influence my voice because I wasn't really good at tuning out other people's voice just yet and like consuming other words. So reading the long run was super fun. Mostly I did it laying on my bathroom floor, which is sweet. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that captured me most about your writing right out of the gate, right? And then I read um, your long memoir, which is your only hardback, right? The rest are all audiobooks, which I like was is a really cool entry in. I really appreciated sort of witnessing that for sure. Um, is that there? there's like sarcasm, but satire, but so many adjectives, but it's so sad that it makes you love all at the same time. <laughs> like every sentence has everything I just said in it. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a few down just in case because I just wanted to make sure that I communicated that point well. But I'm, I'm, to be honest, I've really never met a, read a memoir because I'm not super into the pseudo celebrity author kind of thing. And I've always been like, Ugh, sugar water, don't really care how you got this super awesome famous life. But when I read The Long Run, I was like, okay, I think I can sit for the rest of your work because I was just like oh my gosh it's so honest and it's not like I could see my total self in it but I could see gut-wrenching parts of like oh fuck yeah I did weird shit like that too <laughs> yeah the um thank you thank you um the I, I want to say I, I totally agree with what you did of not reading other work while you were writing your book um people when I was writing when I was getting ready to write, are you lonesome tonight? Um, people were like, oh, that's, that's like this movie catfish. You've got to watch it. And I was like, great. And I put, I wrote it on a list and then that was on my like, do not watch list. Um, <laughs> and then I've, I, and then once I got to the end of the story, then I went and watched the movie and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so fucking glad I didn't watch that movie because had I watched that movie first, I would have told myself, oh, you, you don't need to write that story. But because I didn't watch it, then I was like, I do need to get this down on paper. And at the end of the day, there were totally different stories, but I would have found that as an excuse or a reason not to write the story. Um, mm -hmm. The, when, when I wrote the long run, um, it felt like, well, this is kind of graphic, but fuck it, I'm gonna go for it. When, when a being dies, whether it's an animal or a human being or whatever, they like, you know, they piss themselves and they shit themselves and it's like just everything is blah, you know, the, um, and that's what the long run felt like for me. 
um, I was I was convinced that story was going to end my writing career because it was just so ugly and so dark and so like horrific. Oh wow! And, I didn't feel that at all. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I, I mean, I was completely <laughs> fucking wrong about it. You know, the, that story has, uh, you know, just um, yeah. We have we have no idea of what the merits of our own work is, you know, or which story is going to work or which one's not, or which song is good or not. But mm-hmm. um, I, I had well, met with wait, an agent. What you just said, I kind of want to ask a quick question. We have no idea of the long-term merits of our work. So w- when you were mm. feeling like, oh, this is going to be so yucky and end my career, you just said, fuck it, I'm going to keep writing it or. So, I mean, I'd gone through this you know sort of like insane couple of years where um i met up with an agent you know so i i I met up with an agent before i'd gotten sober and and talked to him about writing a memoir and i was like you know there's there's so much like fucked up stuff i have to deal with i'm afraid that to tell those stories would like damage my career um Mm -hmm. and we were sitting at a bar and he, he turned to me and looked at me and he was like mishka there's the good news is that there's nothing you could publish that would damage your career more than the shit you've already published. And I was <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Uh, um, but the great thing about that was that it was freeing. Um, I just, you know, when I was writing that story, it felt like a message in a bottle. Um, I'd gone from this life where I wasn't just unemployed, but unemployable and like, you know, picking up shit off the free section on Craigslist and then reselling it in other sections of Craigslist and just like barely eking out, you know, subsistence in Brooklyn um, to being sober and running and, you know, having like an okay job at a bar where I made like 300 bucks a week consistently. And, um, And I was like teaching myself how to fix guitars. And I was like, cleaning the bathroom and, you know, sort of doing other things that I'd just never done before in my life. And so I, I'd long, long before I'd given up the dream of ever being a writer or succeeding as a, as a writer. And so um, I just felt totally free to be like, fuck it, here's everything. Um, and I had a fantastic editor who encouraged me to let it get as deep and as dark and as gross um, and as as ugly as as necessary. And holy shit, the world responded. Mm-hmm. You know, the not just alcoholics and addicts, but um, people who have suffered with eating disorder, anxiety, depression, incest survivors, people who had who I felt had nothing in common with my story. Um, you know, like, like white R&B artists in LA were like, you know, bro, this really spoke to me. And I was like, what the fuck, man? You know, <laughs> but there is something, you know, there's, well, there's lots of things that are universal in the human experience, you know, and one of the things is that um, when we're suffering, we're, we feel totally alone. Mm-hmm. And when you're suffering, that's probably when you're the least alone, because there are billions of other people out there who are like, man, I'm suffering and I'm all alone. Yeah. And uh, not talking about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, you know, I come from an eating disordered past and then I went to rehab for substance abuse, but it wasn't 12 step. So they did a really phenomenal job getting to the eating disorder issue that had sort of spewed out into substance abuse in so many different ways. And that was sort of a symptom. So if I had gone just to deal with the substance abuse, I really wouldn't have gotten at the root issue. So I think that anytime we're dealing with like the underbelly of addiction, all walks of life are going to be able to resonate with it on such a deep, deep, deep level, you know, and I think the way that you string it together in these like long, intense sentences where literally I could see so many different scenes happening and in between the periods, you know, like lots of different visions that it gives the reader so much access to go, oh my God, this is like, if I'm being 100% honest too, me too, in so many weird ways, not the exact same thing. And, you know, uh, my husband, I was listening to long run. He's like, what is that? Can we go back? Can we start at the beginning? 
<laughs> I was like, sure, I would love to listen to this with you, you know, on like our hour long trips across New Mexico. And he loved it too, in so many ways. And it spurred so many conversations between us really about our childhood and weird things that we kept in our private lives in so many ways. The, um, you know, secrets get their power from being secret. And it's like, as soon as you go under the bed and like grab that vampire and drag it out into the sunlight, it's like poof, you know, it turns into ash or smoke or whatever and just, you know, disappears. And um, I just had all these secrets that I'd kept that, you know, I felt like were sort of imprisoning me. And, um, you know, I mean, I hope that th this isn't sort of appropriating anyone else's experience, but when, when I published the long run and sort of came out to the world as an alcoholic, I was like, I had new appreciation uh, for what gay folks go through. Cause I felt like I had lived this sometimes literally closeted life, you know, um, as, as a, you know, fucked up alcoholic. And then it was just so liberating to come out and say, this is who I am. And this is who I, who I've been this entire time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been an exhausting ride in a lot of ways, you know, the, but it's, there was one time where I was on tour in Ohio, uh, Athens, Ohio, and I had like a big night the night before. And then I was like throwing up in my buddy's bathroom the next morning. And I remember looking up and he had like a, a screen printed uh, poster that, that another friend had done. And it had, you know, words in Latin that said, um, uh, nothing human is foreign to me. Mm. And I was like, that's what I want to do as a writer, to just be totally fearless you know and just say like um we've all shit our pants we've all pissed the bed we've all had weird horrific dreams or like um i actually wrote i wrote this line down you will shit your pants with such a vehemence that you will have to change your socks <laughs> i was like i gotta write that one down <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that in a while, but I've actually, I've absolutely done that. <laughs> I mean, just so good though. You know, like I laughed out loud. When I <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's also, that's a fucking dark scene where that line comes out too, yeah. you know? So I'm glad yeah. I could make you laugh in that moment, you know? Oh but yeah. Sometimes I've, and I think it right before that I was like, Oh, I feel bad for spec. And then you were like, Oh, but I feel really betrayed and lied to. And I was like, oh my God, I feel bad for Mishka. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, just the, such the complexity and the way that you're able to describe that in such a rawness. It's more than rawness, honestly. That doesn't even feel right. It's just like the sharp edge of complexity from both sides, you know? Like I could feel my inner body going to both sides. <laughs> one, one of the things that I've that's sort of been rattling around in my brain lately is this concept of ahimsa of, you know, do no harm, which is sort of like very big. Um, it seems like, I feel like it's having, we're at like peak Ahimsa in California or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fucking fiction and it's a harmful fiction. To live in this world, you're doing harm. Totally. You're, you're driving a car, you're, you're on your iPhone made by some unhappy children in Asia, or you're just, you're eating sort of an organic, free-range, cruelty-free apple, and that means that somebody else can't eat it. You know, mm -hmm. to live in this world, to exist in the world, you have to accept the fact that you are doing harm to to lots of other people, lots of other beings every day. And really? it's, um, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's like dumb and dangerous to propagate this fiction of. Um, you know, at some point, it's like asceticism, like, oh, we're just going to, you know, um, we're just going to exist off air and like, you know, not hurt anyone. And the, it's a much less compelling tweet, but instead of do no harm, it should be like, do as little harm as possible, but accept that human existence means doing harm to other people. But so just don't be a dick about it or, you know, it's like, it's not a good yeah. bumper sticker. 
Yeah. But, um, but the, honestly, the way we translate a himsa, because that's sort of my world, is incorrect, really. Okay. Right. It should, uh, it's kind of your second sediment is amazing, which is how can I do as little harm as possible knowing that my incarnation is harmful? See, this is yeah. the, this is one of the things that drives me wild. It's like everything's lost in translation. You know, the, that's a. Um, but it's gotten really popular. That sentiment's gotten insanely yeah. popular for sure. It's like Pandora's box. It's not a box. In the, the original translation, it's like a, a vessel. So like a clay um, jar, meaning that once it, it, that it had to be broken mm -hmm. in order for it to be open. So there was no, there was no idea ever of a box being able to be closed. That's a Western uh, or a, a modern interpretation of that, um, yeah. you know, that, that paradigm. Mm -hmm. So you're more saying like, once it's opened, it's fucking open, <laughs> like yeah, there's no just, going back. <laughs> yeah, that was, this, you know, <laughs> I was talking to a friend and I was like, this van is a time machine, but it only moves one direction forward and it does it at normal time, right? You can only move forward. You can't, you know, people are like, oh, you know, if you could go back and quit drinking a year earlier or like have one, you know, well, it's, it's a moot point. It's a thought experiment. It's a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. I'm much more focused on like re real world solutions, you know, which is to say that the last time I caught a truck on fire in the middle of the desert, what are the mistakes that I made? Um, how can I move forward and try not to make those mistakes again? Yeah, you know? totally. Like implementing that intel into actual action. Yeah. I mean, I think our world would look a little bit different if that was the way yeah. in which we processed. I think one of the things you also wrote, which I would love to hear your thoughts now on it, is the sentence, uh, my nihilism was the only thing that saved me from myself. And until you said those words in the book, I was kind of like, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Like he's so committed to these ideas or drinking or getting the Robitussin from the drugstore. Like, you know, like one thing you also said in long run, which kind of like shook me in my boots a little bit because there's so much rhetoric about addiction was like never underestimate the strength of an addict because mm -hmm. we have so there's such these funny ideas of like they're weak or they they just can't seem to give up the vice or something like that you know but i think there's some some correlation when i was like reading all of the amazingly written sentences between nihilism and like this undying commitment to anything really that sort of obstructed you from yourself in this particular way the um you're reminding me of all these lines in the book that I've like forgotten I, I wrote. So like, I keep hearing these lines. I'm like, man, that's a great line. Like you know, I should write that down, you know, <laughs> like, learn, learning how to tickle yourself. Um, the, I think that line is referring specifically to suicide, you know, that, um, that I wanted to kill myself and I wanted to die, but I felt that the world was so, so dark and so pointless and so empty of meaning that even, you know, sort of like a melodramatic gesture like that would be, um, you know, it, it would be, it was like drama queenery, you know, to, to kill yourself. I think back at that and I'm like, holy shit, you know, I hope that kid's okay. You know, yeah. because it, I was, I was just in this like negative, super negative loop of like everything in the world, just um, going down to this, like, pinprick of you know incredible darkness um the i'm still absolutely nihilistic but i've reframed it you know which is not to say um you know the world is uh utterly meaningless and um and dark and nothing means anything um and you know if there's a god it's a spiteful god or a god that enjoys ignoring us or whatever i'd say to masochistic god the mm -hmm. but instead the way that i reframe it i've reframed it is to say um this world has no um no integral meaning um it's our job to bring meaning to a a, a disordered chaotic meaningless existence and the way in which that we bring meaning to this world, this universe, this experience, um, is to fucking love one another. 
it's to um you know it's to kiss your cat on the lips it's to make fart jokes at funerals it's to like you know help somebody change a tire it's um just to connect with other people and and make shit make art write songs make paintings build um the you know build things like uh the watts towers in la um just just keep making shit until you're unable to to make any more shit you know mm -hmm. yeah i mean was writing an outlet for you even through all of the alcohol and drugs was it always an outlet and then it sort of gave you that i wouldn't say glimmer of hope because i would put those words into your mouth but some type of tether i think so I wrote incredibly little when I was drinking. Um, there is this, you know, image of, I, I, you know, I think an image in a lot of people's heads of like, you know, the alcoholic writer, like sitting at the typewriter with their, uh, yeah, you know, totally. I know it was like a glass know, a of wine or and... something with the yeah. fedora and a cigarette. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> the, it's affectation. That's a fucking movie. It's not real life. The, my mentor, Lucia Berlin, uh, was friends with Hunter Thompson. And she said he never wrote under the influence. So he would go out and get fucked up and do drugs and drink and stuff. But every time he wrote, he was sitting there with a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, was, that was interesting for me. You know, it was sort of like puncturing that, that legend. I think I had an inkling while I was out there doing what I was doing that it was sort of, um, you know, like Hunter Thompson, I was out experiencing the event and that then you know, if like it was, I was a small town reporter that I was out going to the parade and mm -hmm. seeing all the things that were happening. And then I would come back and sort of write up the story. Um, and I did have like lots of fantasies of being a successful musician or writer or something, but like, they weren't good, positive fantasies. Like one day I'll make my mom proud of me. It was more like one day I'll show all you fuckers and you'll be sorry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, I just remember like so many times in my life, like, um, you know, I, I remember um, nodding off in the airport one time because um, I was super high and like sweating through my jean jacket and just fell asleep on the floor. And then I like woke up and a woman was like dragging her daughter away. And she said, honey, don't look at that man. <laughs> And that was fucking devastating, yeah. you know, because she was right. Um, and I, you know, and I wanted to tell her like, no, I'm a good boy, you know, that I, I, I care about people. I like animals, you know, the, I miss my mom, the, and you know, and I have dreams and I have, I have thoughts and like one day I'll do a thing, but yes, no, I understand that right now I'm doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so that was, um, that was really difficult. But um, when I got sober, it was sort of like um, that I just had this huge storage unit of all, it was like a, like a hoarder's house, you know, and it was just like emotional baggage that I had to go through, you know, and it's like, oh. I had a few of those storage units for sure. <laughs> you know, you open up a box and they're like, oh, here's that time that I threw up in front of that girl on the first date or, you know, just, oh, you know, oh why did I, you know, the, so I had to go through all that stuff and writing was the tool that I used to sort through that stuff and be like, this is going to char charity. This is just going to mm -hmm. get shredded and then burned. So was that the process? Because I was wondering how you're recalling like things from age seven with such clarity. I, I have a weird brain, you know, the, I, if I have to go to Safeway to get, you know, black beans, I'll walk in and buy $200 worth of groceries and leave without the fucking black beans. <laughs> but I, I still have memories um, and clear memories from like 18 months old. Um, wow. The... I was on Instagram the other day and I saw a picture of this dude on my friend's Instagram. And I was like, did he used to sing for Malady? And he was like, yeah, that, that I was like, oh yeah, we toured with them in 2004. And he was like, how the fuck do you remember 2004? And how do you recognize this guy's face 
from, you know, one pitcher from whatever, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years ago. Um, but I've always had that weird brain that just, um, you know, sort of like a magpie that'll just like grab onto shit. And then, oh yeah, they are uh, so smart. I have a magpie nest in my backyard. I watch them all the time. Oh, oh awesome. they're so smart. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was wondering that when I was reading, I was like, wow, I mean, just like the emotional density that you could remember from young ages and like the complexity of how things played out almost huge skill. Yeah, the it's weird, you know, the what little kids brains hang on to, you know, uh, yesterday when I got in, I was super tired and super stressed and then like, fucking locking myself out of a running truck after working a full day and then a six hour drive in a hundred degree heat, you know, I was ready to melt down. And when I came in, my, uh, my neighbor's daughter, who's five was like very excited to see me and talk to me about, you know, ants and her new haircut and you know whatever. <laughs> and I was just like, I, Alina, I gotta go. <laughs> you know, I stormed into the house. So I wouldn't freak out. And, uh, but then, you know, this morning I made sure that I sort of like, squatted down with her so we were at eye level and just said listen I'm, I'm sorry that I was in such a rush yesterday I hope it didn't hurt your feelings here's why I was the way that I was but I'm super happy to see you too you know mm-hmm. and um just because um you never know like maybe she'll hang on to that um in her head you know, later in life of like, oh, I remember this dark time in my life. We lived with this weird man who had too many trucks and a broken cat and he was mean (laughs) to me or he ignored me or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a long way of saying be nice to kids. (laughs) So let's talk running a little bit. You know, I think that that's so the way you describe it, how you wear sunglasses and you're crying, you know, I've never been an avid, avid runner, but more of like to keep baseline fitness for other things. But one thing that I love about it is that it's so simple. It's so meditative, like the cross body action stimulates creativity. Like sometimes I have to stop and like talk to text into my phone so I can remember that thought, but not many other things in the world sort of have that neurological stimulus. And so I'm wondering if there was any correlation between really sort of getting into running and then the jumpstart of your creativity obviously made you sober, helped you get sober, and then then you're writing again. Yeah, the absolutely. I mean, most of um, most of the books that I've written, I've written in my head on my feet while I was running. Um, the there is something about it where it's. Uh, your I mean the first thing about it that's so awesome is that it's like little d democratic you know you don't need uh, a a $200 pair of Nikes you don't need fucking Under Armour you absolutely don't need any corporate clothing you don't need shoes of any kind you don't need any equipment you were born with everything you need to go out and run you don't need a parachute or a jet ski or you just you just walk outside and you start doing it and you're fucking doing it, right? <laughs> it's the, it is the, you know, un- unless you have a, a disability, it's one of the things that's, you know, totally uh, universal that ju- just part of the human experience, you know what I mean? It's um, so that's why running is absolutely superior to any other sport. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could probably argue about that, but I do love the simplicity of it. Like it's yeah. amazing. Um, and it's funny because I, one of the things that I've sort of stumped about with people and, and, and bickered about with friends is that uh, spirituality has played no part in my recovery. I have no relationship with God or the universe or Odin or, you know, any of that shit. The, um, I, I'm a very sort of, you know, material person. The, mm-hmm. um, however, I like to understand people and I like to understand, you know, how people think and why people think the way that they do. And my relationship with running me has made me understand other people's relationship with God because um, running goes with me everywhere I go. It's sort of like, though I didn't run today, running is surrounding me at any point during the day today, I can go outside and run. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's unconditional like running always listens without judgment it's um it's always there for me i can go out with a pair of sunglasses and cry today if i have to the um it you know it listens without judgment and the you know so it's it's infinite it's boundless you know all these things that we ascribe to um to god or to the infinite or um you know the sort of supernatural stuff the mm-hmm. that applies to running um so i don't know i'm I, i'm super grateful to to have a relationship with running i was running a ton before i went to california i was running like um you know five days a week um and i was just working so hard when i was there that i didn't run but i can't wait to get back to it I'm, i have a new running buddy and uh he's great he he like i'm not a morning person the, it's a good thing I quit drinking because mornings are just like hangovers for me without the alcohol. <laughs> and, uh, but Ed is like really chatty. And every morning when I see him and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? And he's like, man, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. What's that like? You know, tell me about it over the next, you know, four to six miles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, uh, I think it was a female runner in the book, how you like got to know her story and you had previously thought her to be very different than the story that she told you this is in the long run. And, you know, I wonder if that too is amazing to see just so many different walks of life coming to this thing that seems to be the great equalizer. And then you get to see their relationship and who they are, you know, out of the playing field of running, if that makes sense like such an understanding of people because so many diverse people come to these sort of intense sports. Yeah. It's, you know, it's always sort of blown my mind. The man, I I think some of it is just sort of like my own um, maybe narcissism has too much of a negative connotation, but my own self-centeredness, you know, we each, each of us thinks, imagines us to, to be the author of a universal pain. I'm the only person who drinks like this. I'm the only person who throws up like this. I'm the only person with an eating disorder. I'm the only incest survivor. You know, we always, um, nobody, you know, in the history of humankind, no one has ever stubbed their toe the way that I just did, you know, those kinds of things. And then, you know, being at the starting line for these races, you know, I would like look around and um, see people who in the past I would have made negative judgments about them that like, Oh, look at all these fucking normals, right. All these dentists and lawyers, you know, like, is that what we need in this world? Lawyers. Um, And then now like I'll look out and I'll see people and occasionally you see people with, um, with like the patch where it's clear that they're a diabetic, that it's monitoring their insulin. It's like, Oh, I, okay, I see physical evidence of your, your hardship, your struggle, uh, or you see somebody with um, massive stretch marks. And then you're like, Oh, wait, you lost tons of weight. And now that I look, I can see that you have a, a tummy flap from losing like 150 pounds or something ridiculous. So now I can see yeah. that pain, I can see why you're here. And then, you know, and then once you have a couple of those, like you look around, you just see people, you know, different people with this kind of fire in their eyes, or people who still look haunted, or people who look haunted in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, you know, the, I love poking holes in these sort of, um, this, you know, cross stitch sampler wisdom that we have in the world. But um, one of the things that's totally true is, you know, um, that line about, you know, be kind because everybody is fighting a battle that you don't know about, you know, it's, it's totally fucking true. The, and in a lot of regards, you know, the, uh, a buddy of mine came up to me at a show and I was like, man, you're looking good. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I lost 175 pounds and then I gained it all back. And then now I'm back down a hundred. And, uh, the, and he was like, you know, it's, it's not the same as, you know, you being an alcoholic, but, and I was like, dude, are you kidding? Like, thank fucking God. I'm just an alcoholic because you can quit alcohol. If you have a problematic relationship with food, you can't quit food. You have to redefine it. And I think that's way harder. If, 
if I had been charged with drinking responsibly <laughs> instead of just stopping, uh, you know, I'd still be in, in grave danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think alcohol is really tricky though, as well, because you can get it on every corner. It's built into the social fabric of this entire country and many others, you know? Yeah. So it does have, it's like immediate availability, which makes it really challenging too. Yeah. I remember going on a date with a girl in Brooklyn, um, whatever, 10 years ago. Um, and you know, we were just talking and I said something, you know, I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't drink anymore, but I still like occasionally eat shrooms or something like that. And she was like aghast and she was like, ew, like you're some kind of hippie druggy, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, and it was, it ended up being a fucking deal breaker for us because she, you know, she was totally fine with people going out and getting like righteously plastered every night. Um, and, you know, imagined herself to be this sort of anti-authority, you know, anti-authority sort of punk rock person. Yet she couldn't grasp that the reason, um, the reason she felt the way that she felt about alcohol is because the government told her that. Yeah. And shrooms it, are schedule one, supposedly. Yeah. yeah. The, and if you, um, <laughs> If you think about it, you know, there was this thing with like, you know, the the story that turned out to not be true in Florida about the guy who had, you know, taken bath salts and eaten somebody's face off or whatever. And then we're talking about all these sort of synthetic drugs. Well, conceptualize alcohol as a synthetic drug, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's clear, it's invisible, it's odorless, it's tasteless. The um, you consume too much of it, you can uh, you can get raped, you can become a rapist, you can get murdered, you can become a murderer, you can go blind, your organs can fail, you know, like people, you know, the white suburban moms would be out in the streets, you know, like, shut it down, you know, yeah. but that's alcohol. And everybody's like, yeah, let's get fucking bent. It's Friday night, you know, but like, how many I can't even get it out without laughing. How many mushroom addicts do you know? How many people do you know who are like, bro, shrooms ruined my life? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's laughable, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I actually share that sentiment. I was just thinking maybe the other day I was going to go on a little bit of a research bender of like, what are the subsidies for alcohol, liquor licenses? Like, why is it so like why is our culture so pro it who's making money from it why is the government benefiting from it <laughs> and then we our last podcast was on psychedelics and synthetic psilocybin and it's been a big part of my healing journey so when i heard you say that in the long run where you're like yeah, i'm okay i'm sober but i occasionally will eat the magic mushroom <laughs> i was like oh sick you know like i think that there is such a um understanding of intoxicants based on authority and what's okay and what's not okay you know so it, i mean it's a huge conversation that has far-reaching political effects <laughs> follow the money yeah that's it it's all about money and power you know the there are all kinds of sort of like christian conservative folks who were you know 10 15 years ago were like you know the weed it's criminal you know shut it down you know um put those people in jail and now they're like what stocks do i buy yeah <laughs> like man yeah. we're like we're willing to God, like that changed so fast oh yeah the next yeah. thing is going to be shrooms watch yeah. you know totally. mark my words it's um the all those same people are going to be like you know mushroom.com you know mm -hmm. <laughs> totally yeah I mean, I mean, I could ask so many questions in that regard, but then we'll probably just be in a regular conversation and not on a podcast anymore. We could talk about anything. I, I wanted to, I wanted to interview you about the. I'm embarrassed because I left your book here when, when I went to California, so I haven't even cracked it. But the that's okay. The you know what we were talking about, the like non-binary thinking, mm -hmm. like what was the light bulb that went off in your head where you were like, this is a problem. This is an issue. This is something we need to deal with. I need to write a book about this. Yeah. Yeah. So my background is in Hindu philosophy and Buddhist philosophy and pre those words, because 
colonization has a lot to do with those words, but the philosophy before those words is called Vedanta, which is non-dualism. And so I didn't really realize how much it was baked into who I am. But a lot of people that I work with, I kept hearing them saying, really just in their like neuro-linguistic programming, I am this, but I'm not this. I hate what I am, so I'd rather be this. And that was playing out on so many levels in their the way they parented, the way that they were in relationship, really just this schism between opposites as if we couldn't just say, yeah, I'm a good person that does weird shit. Oh, I was a bad person that is going to do good things. You know, like there wasn't a complexity in how we define our self-identity. So, um, you know, I'm in the yoga world. I have been for many years. Don't even love using that word anymore. And so I wanted to <laughs> write a book that basically described all of these philosophies in an integrated way so people could say yeah here's the work I do in my life and now is here I'm seeing myself as an integrated being that has a non-binary worldview ahimsa in real life do less harm because I see the totality of the complexity here nice callback there <laughs> <laughs> the um yeah it's uh I mean, you know, it's that's very different from my background, but I feel like we both arrived at the same point, you know, and it, it's one of those things where like the um, you know, people will be like, oh, how was your tour? And I'm supposed to say good or bad. And it's and I wanted to do like a PowerPoint presentation of it. It was, it was this percentage yeah. good and this percentage bad and this percentage undetermined. And, you know, the tour is a very polarizing experience you know and it's sort of like you have these two emotions you know one is which you know fuck yeah we're gonna do this forever and then the other thing which is like i'm gonna break all my guitars set the van on fire going home for fucking never doing this again you know mm -hmm. the yeah but you but, really can't say the latter because people are like what you just got back from tour yeah 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 so even society mm -hmm. is like dictating a certain binary response yeah well and and then also this thing about um the you know you're a good person or you're a bad person well i mean that that's bullshit you know when people are like uh you know the the touchstone for like well i'm no mother Teresa. well <laughs> my catholic family will hate me for this but you know she's what is she a saint now you know she like beat kids and abused kids and if you look yeah. at it she was also pushing the agenda of the catholic church which has done far more harm um than the church of satan than the nazis you know it's like yeah. the you know catholicism is a fucking evil empire mm -hmm. um and so it's it, it's just like so backwards you know the um yeah i read about so, that a little bit like the weaponization of morality or goodness yeah. right and really not yeah. looking at the underbelly of it and its long-term effects but i think maybe that's coming to the surface a little bit a little bit it just seems so wild to me that we're finally at a point where at least in my whatever libtard snowflake circles people sort of uniformly you know understand and respect and celebrate that um the gender um, and sexual orientation happens on a spectrum and that it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. Growing up, gender was the ultimate black and white. You're oh, really? a, um, you know, you're the door with the man stick figure or with the triangle that indicates a woman. Um, and it's one or the other. You have to walk through one of those two doors, you know. So now we can finally see, uh, you know, gender and sexual orientation um on a spectrum but well are you an alcoholic or are you not an alcoholic bro you know it's mm -hmm. like god damn it how can't you see that this is the same outdated form outdated mode um that we've gone to great uh lengths to try and get rid of when you know when talking about sex and sexuality mm -hmm. um but when it comes to alcoholism and addiction we're still um living off a document that's like 75 years old you mm -hmm. know have you seen any recovering addicts in your immediate space be able to sort of straddle the fence and be like a different archetype moving forward or that's just a completely individual case right to see more of a spectrum the 
this is so funny because um, whenever I talk publicly about my sobriety and how I got sober without rehab or AA or 12-step programs or anything like that, people are like, man, that's so wild. It's so miraculous. You're so strong. You know, I too got sober without AA. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. that same thing that people can't realize that in fact, if you go and crunch the numbers and I did for cold Turkey, um, I, you know, in, or, in order to publish that, I had to vet all my numbers, all my statistics with, uh, with audible mm -hmm. overwhelmingly more people get sober outside of AA than in AA, which is not to say AA is a bad organization, but it just means that they don't own sobriety. They don't own alcoholism. They don't own addiction. Um, overwhelmingly, <clears throat> more people got sober outside of any rehab program, including AA, including smart recovery and all that other shit, just by waking up one morning and being like, what the fuck? This is bull. No, this has gone far enough. I'm fucking done. I'm going to the gym. It's going to suck, but I'm going to do it. And then I'm dumping this, you know, shit down the drain or giving it to the neighbor. And I'm just, I'm done with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then also people have, you know, um, Another, you know, myth is that, oh, you can never drink again. Yeah. Um, I can't. That's clear to me. I know that um, I'm a pure alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in the chapter in the book, I think it's chapter six or something, where you're like, I ate the cake with brandy. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that sucks. You yeah. know? And then you were like tracing your steps back, like I shouldn't even have gone. You know, and I felt such a sense of sorrow that like we're all subjected to that, if that makes sense, like where we can't totally be the full expression of ourselves in certain ways because of the social environment. Nobody told you wasn't a big deal. Everybody there was okay with it. You know, it was just like this weird little grief moment of like, ugh, that's a bummer. It's like a peanut allergy or something yeah which my husband has and it's crazy yeah. <laughs> it's like so ugh, it's like why isn't there more space in there if that yeah. makes sense yeah the um it sucks too because you know the we, we live in such a an alcoholic world you know that it's never like oh let's let's meet up and uh um get tea or let's go for a walk Let's yeah, get a, yeah. a bag of apples. It's let's go get a drink, you mm -hmm. know? And I lived in New York. I lived in the great, greatest drinking city, you know, arguably in um, America. Mm -hmm. New Orleans may be better, but um, the, so yeah, it was, it was everywhere and it's still everywhere. You know, the, when you get uh, frequent flyer miles and stuff like that, they're like, congratulations, here's a certificate for a drink, you know? And I don't want to be that guy, but I also just want to like pull out my, uh, soapbox and put it on top of my podium and then be like, man, fuck you. Like, why are you, <laughs> here's your reward, a tall glass of poison, you know, like, yeah, you just like comp us a fucking sandwich or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And then running definitely gave you a community outside of that. I know rock climbing's done that for me. Yoga sort of, but not really. It's more been high intensity outdoor sports that I have found more like-minded people that are living a lifestyle that, I vibe with that is makes me happy in my inner self. Yeah, it's weird because the I mean, for me, it really made me realize like how how much I'd constructed a binary world where it was sort of like us against them and the people who get it and the people who don't get it and mm -hmm. like, you know, the the fucking the normals and then my tribe. Um, and, you know, along the way, I met a couple of great people who happened to be lawyers. <laughs> it can happen <laughs> that you're one doesn't mean you're, you're you know, not the other as well. Mm -hmm. um, so running really made me um, sort of reassess like all these sort of uh, personal and cultural judgments that I made against people, you know, like of, um, oh, you listen to dance music. Uh, we, we can't be friends. You know, the which is just so. I mean, that's you know comes back to like being a kid, and like the you know the battle on the radio station between like 
Guns N' Roses and like Tone Loke or something like that, you know, yeah. the, it's codified, you know, racism and homophobia. The, um, but I carried that with me happily until I was whatever, 35 or, you know, and I mean, obviously there's still shreds of it in my life now. Um, but yeah, running is one of those things that really, um, you know, running an addiction, you know, those are two things that it just like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what experience you come from. Um, uh, they'll, they can, they can transform you both mm -hmm. running and addiction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You alluded to this a little bit in the long run, and I've had to check this in my own sort of addictive patterning because I can take some of the old eating disorder stuff and then imprint it onto rock climbing. And then it gets really even into my meditation practice almost where it's just like, I'm codependently addicted to it in a way that I can't seem to just be okay without it. And then I'm like fiending over it almost. And I feel really yucky if I don't get it or get the time to do it. Um, I'm wondering if you had any moments early on in running, like taking the addictive patterning and then putting it on running. I feel like people always come at me with this, uh, oh, you just replaced one addiction with another. Um, and my, you know, my, my thoughtful, articulate, nuanced response to that is go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, the Brandon, you work at O'Reilly's. Don't don't fucking diagnose my my life, my pathology, my sobriety, my recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, the um and also replacing one addiction with another is something called harm reduction. And it's been a proven strategy. I am so <laughs> yes, <do> less <laughs> harm, exactly. To improve to save people's lives, to improve people's lives, to get to get people better. You know, the I don't think that I've ever been addicted to running. I don't think that I've ever had um the I fucking hate running. Running sucks. I'm like uh, the you know, I'd lost some weight, so I got down to 210, but that's still a lot of weight to be hammering on 44 year old ankles and knees and hips. And, mm -hmm. um, the, I hate getting up early in the morning. I, I, there's nothing I hate more in the world than like tying up my running shoes, you know, and I just wake up and I'm like, man, fuck, fuck. Why, why did I say I would run at six? The, this is bullshit. I hate it. You know, the, um, and then, uh, you know, when we, when we make the turn coming back onto my street and, I, and, you know, I see my place and then, you know, run back here and then like sit on the deck for a minute, like drinking a cold beverage. I'm like, man, I fucking love running. Running's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm ready to face the day, you know, like, the, mm -hmm. so it's, you know, it's like what Dorothy Parker said about writing. You know, I, I do not enjoy writing. I enjoy having written. Mm. Um, the, I have found alcoholic and addictive behaviors in, um, you know, in other aspects of my life, basically every other aspect of my life, except for running, mm -hmm. um, from, uh, guitars and eBay. And, um, if, you know, if, if whenever it's time for me to buy a new pair of running shoes, that's like a days long ordeal of going down this fucking rabbit hole, finding the best shoes and getting them at the best price. And like all this bullshit, um, with, uh, with my relationships, with dating apps, with pornography, with sugar, the, you know, I mean, that's mm -hmm. the thing is that I, I recognize that I'm a pure alcoholic, that that's my, my poison of choice. Um, but also it's like that, um, that devil that lives inside of you can shift gears pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh it's you know human beings are incredibly deceptive especially when it comes to lying to ourselves oh yeah so it's i think so that's easy. the name of the game <laughs> yeah so easy to be like um no this is totally okay this is fine you know and, and there are ways in which i express my um the you know my sort of sober alcoholism which you know like looking around here i you know i see like six or seven vintage guitar amps 
10 or 12 guitars. You know, I have a couple of old 60s cars um, out in the yard that I'm working on. The, and part of that's a manifestation of, um, you know, always wanting to be working on six projects at once. And part of that's a manifestation of um, being a sober alcoholic and like having to, always having to get the new thing or the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the... Yeah, there's a line in your book that I also wrote down that I was like, whoa, this is like a profound juncture and you could reach for a beer or, you know, a new job or something like that or a new project, you know, but you were, I think you're in that relationship. I think her name was Allison. And you're like, is the job really that busy or is it just a life that I don't really know how to live? Yeah. Yeah. Like that little moment you know, imagine if we could ask ourselves that question more when we're like, no, sorry, babe, I'm busy. I can't come home, you know, like right then and there, like almost. <laughs> yeah. The it's, <clears throat> it's funny because, uh, so, you know, some of these are alcoholic problems and some of these are just fun. That's just a human condition, you know, Indeed. and the, I've had, you know, so many friends and girlfriends say, um, oh God, you know, you're impossible to deal with because the, you always have to be doing something. You're always working. You're always like doing this or doing that. Um, and then, um, and I was like, oh, it sucks. Like I haven't done the work, you know, that I, it sucks. My, my alcohol, my alcoholism is manifesting this way of uh, that constant drive to always be working, always be doing stuff. And then I was talking to my sister on the phone one day and she was sort of like huffing and puffing. And I was like, are you okay? And she was like, oh yeah, no, I'm just doing my squats while we're on the phone. And I was like, <laughs> and then I was talking to my mom and she was like, okay, I'm listening to you. I'm just going to wash these dishes while we're talking, you know? And I was like, oh shit, no, I, I get this naturally from mm -hmm. my parents, my family, the, the, we clean when we're angry. Um, you know, if you, if you really piss me off, I'll go and clean my kitchen, <laughs> you know, and uh, maybe I should get people to make me angry more often. Um, and uh, we, we can't talk without, um, without having a thing to do without being occupied. You know, the, I saw my, my mother and my sister this weekend, and we drove up to, to watch my niece's rugby games. And she was like, oh, thank you guys, you know, so much for driving two hours there and two hours back to come and see me play. And I was like, it was kind of perfect because we were trapped in the car. We were, we were doing a thing. It was like, mm -hmm. we were running together, you know, we couldn't do anything else. You know, I can't, you know, paint the shed while I'm in the car. Um, so instead we had to talk and hang out and it was great. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe that's organic stopping point for our conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, you know, it's also kind of weird because like, I know so much about your life. <laughs> yeah, way too much, way too much. No, but I really appreciate it. And that level of, well, I, I don't even want to call it vulnerability. It's like intensity. And I think that's really needed in the world. You know, I think performative, performative vulnerability is bullshit. And I really think that what, you did in many of the books I've read is just so intense and like, hey, you open the fuck up and listen. <laughs> and I mean, it was awesome. It was a huge, amazing experience for me to, to have not read a book in 18 months and then sit down and, and read both of those. So I really appreciate the time, the effort, your skill is like phenomenal, phenomenal. And so thank you so much for putting that out into the world. <laughs> Oh, compliments make me so uncomfortable. Thank you. I, um, You're a really effing I, good writer. I would not have read it and I would have not had, had you on the podcast if I didn't think so. And I know my opinion is the most important in the world. So, <laughs> um, I feel like I have to tell you that I, um, I didn't write those books to help anybody. I wrote them completely selfishly just to try to help myself to try to get my own head better, to make amends with my family and my history and sort of um, be able to live with my own history and stuff like that. You know, and it, I did, the, did it for very, very, you know, sort of narrow-minded, selfish reasons. Um, 
and it's okay to do selfish stuff in the world because I found out at the end of the day that by doing that very selfish thing of like trying to get myself better, that it did end up helping a lot of other people. And I'm super mm-hmm. grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the creativity though, that you brought to it and the skill of expression, I think was like a tremendous vehicle is a tremendous vehicle. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Okay. Well, I'll DM you and buggy in the future. Awesome. I was going to say, <laughs> let's do this again anytime. The, uh, it's so nice to talk to you. And I, you know, I feel like we could have gone for hours. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Live Lightly podcast. If you loved this episode, please download and subscribe. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and your main takeaways from this episode. Tag us on Instagram and Facebook at LiveLightly underscore. We will then reshare your takeaways and insights. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information and education only. Live Lightly is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.